Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 94. I think uh, we've addressed this maybe, maybe too heavily, but I don't know if you can do it enough. If you haven't done it already, just go set up an account at Mint and start getting a hold of that money coming in, money going out. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Hello, and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I am your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help you on your path to becoming a physician. And I want to talk about stories and encouragement and information and and talk about session 100 coming up. We're six weeks away from session 100. And a couple weeks ago, I introduced what I want to do, what we want to do for session 100. And one of our academy members, Jessica, gave us the idea for this. And she said, you know what, why don't you have people write in and tell us and tell you who's listening what struggles they've encountered on their path. And and I think I've had a lot of guests on the show that have talked about their struggles, and I, I think that's where you guys get your motivation, your encouragement to go, you know what, I've, I'm in that similar situation, and this person made it to medical school, so why can't I? And that's what I need from you. If you're listening to this and, and you're applying to medical school this year or you're taking the MCAT right now and you've had to overcome some hurdles to get to where you are right now and you think somebody else can get some inspiration from what you've been through, I want you to take a couple minutes and email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I want you to tell me your story. And we're going to take five to ten-ish 
depending on how long they are and how long we want to talk about each one. And we want to take these stories and turn them into our session 100 to give you and everybody else some more inspiration and some more motivation and some more of that relational experience to go, you know what, they're doing it, I can do it. Why not me? I want you to ask yourself that. Why not me? And we've gotten a couple great ones already. Christina emailed us and and gave us an awesome story where she got a lot of encouragement and courage from Carrie talking in session 74, which you can listen to at medicalschoolhq.net slash 74. But Christina, she quoted Carrie and, and said, you know what, Carrie said this during the show, and and why, and a lot of Carrie's fears are things that I feared, and so it gave me the encouragement to to continue on. And Jessica, the person that gave us the idea for Session 100, emailed and gave us her story, and she talked about listening to this podcast and understanding and re- how much you need to study for the MCAT and how much you need to respect the MCAT that we talk about. And so she ended up leaving her job to study full-time. Now that's some courage, and she got that courage through listening to the podcast, and so I want to make Session 100 just full of encouragement and motivation for everybody else to follow. So if you have a story, even if you think it's not that great of a story, email it to me, and I bet you it's better than you think it is. So Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, I want to hear your stories. All right, and part of that encouragement also comes from being around other people that are in a similar situation as you. And you can do that now at medicalschoolhq.net slash group. It's a private Facebook group for for you, for you who listens to this show, to hang out with other people that listen to the show. It's not an advising group. It's not anything other than come hang out, ask questions, talk about the newest episode. You, you can ask questions about whatever you want, um, but but it's not a place where you're going to get one-on-one advice. That's not the type of, of group this is. This is everybody hanging out with everybody else. So medicalschoolhq.net slash group. All right. Now, for session 94, I am talking to Ryan Mickler. Now, he's not a physician. He's not a medical student. He's not even a pre-med student. He runs wealthanatomy.com He's a financial advisor who specializes in working with physicians. In this episode, I talked to Ryan about how he started working with physicians, what's unique about working with physicians, and how you can start preparing yourself for making money and having lots of debt, and some of the biggest mistakes that physicians make, leaving them broke even when they're making $400,000 a year. Ryan, welcome to the show. Let's talk about you for a little bit and how you got involved working with physicians. Sure, yeah. You know, my, uh, my background, first of all, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show today. But uh, my background is actually not in financial planning. It's actually in retail management. And so that's, that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. 
But uh, long story short, I was in the military, came back, decided I want to do something different and have more of a meaningful impact in people's lives. And financial planning, I felt, was the way to do it. So that's a little bit about how I got started in the, in the industry. But the, really, the, the way that I got introduced to physicians and even more specifically dentists initially was all by happenstance. I had a client in southern Utah, which is where I live and run my practice. And he said, you know what, some of the planning that we've talked about could have been so useful to me while I was in school. And I just wasn't getting this information. So he introduced me at the time to his dental program, the uh, dean of student affairs at his dental program. I went and met with him. Long story short, we ended up integrating some of the financial planning concepts that I shared with him into the curriculum. We did a lot of lunch and learns. And I just realized that the physicians and dentists that I started working with just need this information so much in school so that when they get out into practice and they start making great income, they're ahead of the curve. And that's a little bit about how I got into, uh, into that. It was, it was by mistake, but I've been doing it ever since. Well, that's, a, that's a good mistake. Good, yes. good for us physicians and dentists and everybody else that you're out there helping. So that's awesome. But yes. my question to you, going back on what you just said, we we know that coming out, physicians make a decent amount of money compared to sure. the average. And I'm wondering why, and, and maybe with your experience in doing this, why this type of information isn't taught in school. I think the biggest reason, well, let, let's back up a little bit. I think that physicians are, for lack of a better term, or, or maybe this is even the right term, a big target for financial advisors. And you said it perfectly, is because of their high level of income and their high level of net worth. And so I think a lot of financial advisors will see that and they'll see dollar signs in their eyes and start approaching these doctors when they're in that position. But frankly, there's no real incentive or no motive for a financial advisor to talk with a physician while he's in school or pre-med or even residency because all they have is two, $300,000 of debt, no income, no assets to manage. And so there's a conflict there between what a physician might need as far as financial planning goes and what an advisor obviously is looking for, which is income. Yeah, so but, I think that, but I, I'm, I'm wondering more... Why doesn't the school have this type of information to set up their students and their their future ambassadors for better success? You know, I wish I knew that. Really, what I've seen is in the past is I think because of that high level of income, it creates a little bit of a delusional type environment, I guess you'd say, because I think a lot of physicians just assume that, hey, once I start making that type of income, I'm not going to really need to worry about this stuff too much because everything will take care of itself. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. <laughs> if only that were true. I know. And you know, you know exactly how that is, right? Yeah. And, 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 so I, and I can answer, I, I can answer my own question. I'd love to hear there's, it. There's just no room in the schedule to teach something that has nothing to do with being able to pass the boards. Sure. I get that. Which yeah, is taking time away from that and the clinical side of whatever medicine you're practicing is just nearly impossible. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Absolutely. So we've mentioned it a couple times. When a physician graduates, they come out, they're working in their residency and doing a fellowship, and they're making a little bit of money. But as soon as they're mm-hmm. done with that training, 
they're coming out making a good six figures in most areas. Right. There, there are some unfortunate people that stay in academic medicine, and we need those, those academic physicians uh, in certain areas. Where I'm in, in Boston, the pay is atrocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I don't even want to mention how low it is. But <laughs> for the most part, students that are going through the process now are, are quote-unquote banking on making a good amount of money to be able to pay back their loans. Right. Let's let's talk about these students that are going through the process now whether they're pre-med or medical students. What what big mistakes are they making that's putting them in a hole on the other side when they're coming to you asking for help? Okay, yeah. I, you know, I think the biggest thing it comes down to and it doesn't matter if you're negative 40,000 a year or whatever it may be because you're you're paying for schooling or if you're 400 or 500 even a million dollars a year what i've seen and that the reason that doctors will have so much success with their finances is if they create the right habits and that goes with anything it's not just financially but it's health wise uh, relationships business i mean you name it creating the right habits is going to create more success in your life and getting into the wrong habits is just going to continue as well. And just because you have an income, a change in income down the road doesn't mean that the habit's going to change. So some things that I've seen as big mistakes are getting into debt even prior to medical school. And typically that comes in the form of consumer debt, racking up credit cards, or maybe purchasing a car, or even a home I've seen in some cases when the future's really unknown and, and, and you think, hey, I've got this great deal or great opportunity, especially over the past several years where the real estate uh, values have been so low, I'm just going to purchase a home knowing that they're going to get into medical school. Those are big mistakes. So anything that has to do with credit, if they can just eliminate that now, that's going to be a huge advantage. The other thing that I see is just budgeting, is getting a hold on your finances, understanding where every dollar is coming in and understanding where every dollar is going out. And there's some great tools that I think people just aren't taking advantage of, either because they don't know of them, or maybe they feel like it's too much of a commitment to get involved with those type of tools. What are some of those tools? So one that I use personally is Mint.com, if you've heard of Mint. Mint. It's a great program, and it's very visual, which I like, because it'll show you exactly what you've set as your budget for whatever, groceries, entertainment, all those expenses that you have, and it'll even show you on a monthly basis exactly where you are or how close you are to reaching that goal. And it'll show you if you're over, too. Uh, so that's one. Another program that I've used is YNAB, which is You Need a Budget. So it's YNAB, and that's a pretty good program as well. Okay. You, so, you had mentioned building the right habits. Mm-hmm. What are the right habits? I think the best habits that you can get in, number one, is again, just coming back to budgeting. Just understanding that you've got to get a hold of your finances. You've got to understand where those things are. And there's certain things that you just can't delegate, and finances are one of them. And that's kind of interesting, I think, coming from me, a financial <laughs> advisor. And, and my job is to help physicians with their finances, but there's always this element that they have to have some control over it, right? You just can't delegate everything. And there's not one person, myself included, that's ever going to care more about your finances and your money than you. So I think that's the first habit. 
Uh, I think another habit that I've seen that could go either way is not including the people that need to be included. And that could be a spouse or significant other. It could even be your financial planning team, if that's a financial advisor or insurance agent, an accountant, uh, or even parents, you know, turning to parents and, and seeing, you know, what did you do that worked well and what did you do that really didn't work well and modeling that behavior as long as it's been successful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because and- I'll have people that will come to me and say, oh, you know, I asked my father about this. And my next question is, well, how is your father doing financially? Uh, he's not doing too well. <laughs> and in that case, I'd probably avoid taking that advice. <laughs> yeah, He's only filed for bankruptcy, t- bankruptcy twice. Yeah. He's okay. He's all right. That's that's good. So it it all comes down to who you surround yourself with as in most anything in life. Absolutely. Yeah. And understanding too that, yeah, you're going to be in medicine and you're going to be bombarded and overwhelmed with that and family and all the other things that you have going on in your life. But you have an obligation to yourself to make sure that you carve out some time to really understand this world of money. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to struggle regardless of how much money you're making. Mm-hmm. One of the, the biggest demographics of people that listen to this podcast are non-traditional students. So mm-hmm. people that uh, are either taking a little bit of time off from undergrad before they go back into medical school or complete career changers, people that have that house bought already, people that have the cars, that have kids, that might have a significant amount of debt. What can you say to them so that they can start aligning themselves and getting things right before they go and accrue $200,000, $300,000 worth of debt? Right. You know, there's really, what's really interesting about money and and part of the reason I like it so much is I tend to be a little bit more left-brained and I always know that two plus two is four. And that's kind of comforting. I never need to worry about it being five, right? And so there's this mathematical component, which is good because it's absolute. And then there's this other side, which is emotional. And there's no real formula we can create that's, that's random, right? But when it comes to being successful with money, the more that we can take out our emotions and really live by the rules, and there are rules to the game of money. And so some of those things that I would talk about is, number one, is worry about your cash flow. That is the bloodline or the blood, the, the lifeblood of your money, is money in and money out. So understanding where is every dollar coming in? Where is every dollar going out? And if you actually do that exercise for 30, 60, or 90 days, you'd be amazed at how much you're spending you know, at Starbucks or McDonald's or whatever it may be just to grab a drink. So I think those things are important. So definitely cash flow is extremely important. And then just get in the habit of saving too. Even if you feel like, man, Ryan, I can't save a lot of money right now because I've got this debt. If you can put away $25, $50, $200, it doesn't matter where you start. As long as you get into the habit of doing it, I think you're going to have a huge advantage there as well. So those are, those are a couple things. I've got a couple others, but I don't know if you have any other questions on those couple items. Um, I, I don't have any on those specific items. I want to hear what else you have. Yeah. <laughs> so the next thing is, is debt. You know, if you, if you already have debt, and I think if you're talking about a non-traditional student, they may have accrued some debt, and that could be medical, that could be consumer debt, it could be car loans, whatever it may be, is really figuring out the best way to pay those off. 
And there's some strategies to do that. To, uh, I like the snowball or, or the debt pay down strategy I'm sure you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea is that we're going to take our debt and we're going to prioritize the order in which we should pay it off. So, for example, we'll start with the debt that we can pay off the fastest. So the lowest balance and we'll make minimum payments on everything except for that one with the lowest balance. We'll just load up everything that we possibly can to hammering that one out. And then when that one's hammered out, then we'll move to the next one and we'll move to the next one and we'll move to the next one. So being very systematic about how you pay your debt off is going to have uh, is going to be a huge advantage for you as well. And I you you mentioned there the lowest amount, mm-hmm. not what mathematically seems the most appropriate with the highest interest rate. Right. And Why it's really is that? In, well mathematically Depending on the situation, depending on the interest rate, there's three factors. So there's the interest rate, there's the term, and then there's the payment. And depending on those, mathematically, it could actually go one way or the other, that you should pay off the highest interest rate, or it could be that you actually do need to pay off the lowest balance. Mathematically, I can prove that in some cases. So it's on a case-by-case basis. But the reason why I typically, 90% of the time, will tell somebody, work on the lowest balance first is for that things that are hard to quantify. And there's two, really. The first one is that there's psychological victory when you get a debt line paid off. And so if I could show you or you could get a debt paid off in 12 months versus 36 months, that's going to be a victory for you to continue. It's just like losing weight. If you're jumping on the scale and you're not losing weight, that's going to be a little disheartening, a little demotivating, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it. But then the other side of it, and we've, you and I have had this conversation, is flexibility. So if you have a $20,000 car payment, for example, and you have a $10,000 credit card payment, and you start paying that, let's say, the, uh, the car off first, There's no way that if you fall upon hard times or you have a disability or something happens that you can go back and you can say, oh, you know what? I've been making extra payments to this car. Can you give me some of that money back so I can cover everything for the next 30 (laughs) days? No way, right? And so in order to create some flexibility, if we can get that one that's paid off $10,000, if we can get that paid off faster, man, that just freed up $100 or $200 or $300 a month that if something were to happen, we've got a little bit more flexibility in our plan. Yeah. So for those reasons, 90% of the time, I'm going to recommend that it's somebody that somebody pays off the lowest balance first. Yeah. And I think there's a huge psychological benefit there that, that you did mention. It's, it's almost the, the big hot term these days is gamification. You're almost gamifying sure. paying off your debt of, of, okay, I just leveled up and that, that debt's gone and I got to level up again. And Absolutely. It's the candy, yeah, any, candy crush model. The, that's right. <laughs> Anytime you can see any progress and game, you know, uh, games know this, marketers know this, anytime that you can see yourself moving towards a goal, that's going to be more advantageous for you. And so we can use that strategy to our advantage when it comes to getting ahead financially. And that's why you've got to track all this stuff. You've got to have a system for understanding exactly where you are with debt where you are with your investments or your savings, where your cash flow is. You've got to be able to track that stuff and have it. You know what, though? The problem with that, though, is that sometimes that's pretty scary to actually look at what you've created financially over the past 
20, 30, 40 years, whatever it may be. Sometimes that's a little scary, but the truth will set you free. <laughs> and you've talked about it already. It's, it is very, very similar to weight. People don't, yeah. people don't want to get on the scale because they don't want to see where they're starting from. And it's right. the same thing with debt. Is people are scared to look at their total debt because that number is scary. And, right. and, and I'm somebody that during medical school, I, I was that stereotypical idiot that went in with $20,000 in credit card debt. And I haven't really talked about it on this show before, but I've talked about it on some other shows, so, some other people's podcasts. And I paid off that debt. And with with a, a very low interest rate from USAA because I joined the military. Mm-hmm. And what did I do? I turned around and, and loaded my credit cards right back up. Of course. Yeah. And so now I had a loan and credit card debt. <laughs> you know, what's really interesting about debt. P- people say to me all the time that, oh, you, once you're in debt, you, you never get out of it. And that's not entirely true. That doesn't tell the full story because if you look at debt and you look at loan repayment structures... They're designed to get out of, right? 10 years, 20 years. At some point, you're going to pay that debt off, right? Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) But if you don't get in the habit or at least the mindset of, hey, when I get this debt paid off, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. If you don't get into that habit, the problem with that is that you're going to pay off that car or those student loans and you're going to free up thousands, in some case, thousands of dollars a month. And because you're not in the mindset of doing the right thing at that point, You'll go out and you'll say, hey, great, now I can go buy the car because I can afford the payment. I can or go now buy I can a boat. Exactly. Or the toy or whatever. Yeah. Not because you can afford that thing, but because you can afford that payment because you freed it up by paying that debt off. So debt yeah. gets paid off. The key is not to replace it with new debt. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's talk about the other side and a, a physician comes out, finishes their residency, finishes their fellowship. Let's talk about an orthopedic surgeon. The, the mm-hmm. average for an orthopod these days is, is $300 plus $1,000 a year that they're making. Right. Have you heard of any broke orthopedic surgeons? Of course. <laughs> how? Of course. How, how is somebody that makes $300 plus $1,000 a year broke? I had a client several months ago come into my office and they were about the $400,000 income range. And they looked me straight in the face and they said, Ryan, we're pretty concerned about our finances. And I said, okay, well, tell me what's going on. And they said, we realize that we need to save. We realize that we need to invest. We realize that we need to do those things for our future. But we're looking through our budget and there is absolutely nothing that we could cut out on $400,000 of income a year. It's amazing to me because I talk to people that might make $50,000 a year that are able to save 20% of their income. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and and everybody that's listening and, and you included have heard this, that our lifestyle rises with our income. Mm -hmm. Lifestyle inflation. Exactly. And so, and that's natural. And in fact, we should enjoy that because if our income goes up, it's, it's, again, it's because of the merits of our hard work. And I believe 99% of the time that's the case, unless you win the lottery, it's your hard work that creates the income and the wealth in your life. And so do you deserve that? Yeah, I, I believe you do because what's the fun of life if you can't enjoy some of those things? Here's the problem though. 
when people talk about investing and saving, rather than talking about in fixed dollar amounts, like I'm going to save or I'm going to invest $1,000 or $4,000 or $10,000 a month, I would rather a doctor use percentages so that every time their income increases, let's say they've decided and dedicated to investing 15% of their income, every single time that their income increases, their investments, their dollar amount goes up because they're working in percentages. And then you can get into the other lifestyle things that you want to accomplish. And once you do those things first, pay yourself first, what's so great about that is you can spend the rest of the money however you want. There's no restrictions on that as long as it's legal. No <laughs> restrictions on that. <laughs> right? And so I, I, I always teach work in percentages. Figure out a percentage of income that you want to save. And if it starts at five, great, but gradually increase that as your income level increases as well. So you, you kind of brushed aside this person making $400,000 and having no room in their budget. What, what mistakes were they making that didn't allow any room in their budget? But yeah, great point. Part of that was a huge debt issue excessive vehicles, toys, and home. And those things absolutely destroyed their ability to get ahead. Not to mention a practice loan and, of, of course, their student loans as well, which some of those things are unavoidable. But they went out and they bought the fancy car, they've got the nice house, they've got all the toys to match the lifestyle, and they incurred all of these debt payments, and it just hampered them or handcuffed them in their ability to save or pay down the rest of their debt. They just couldn't do it. So when they came to me and they said, we just don't know where we can find room in our budget. Part of that was truth because they have to continue to make those payments. The other part of it was lost in entertainment. And that's a huge budget item where people have absolutely zero idea of how much money they're spending on their entertainment. And that could include going out, eating out, vacations, travel. Entertainment is a huge budget item that people just don't have control of. And, and that was their case. They were taking some pretty extravagant vacations. Wow. So what's, what's your first recommendation to somebody like that? Well, when it comes to vacations, I'll give you an idea. Um, my wife and I are planning in the next two months a trip to Disneyland. And that's, that's going to be a small vacation, obviously, for us. It's three or four days. But we went through and we decided, all right, how much are we going to spend? And this was last year. How much are we going to spend? And we just set that money aside. And that vacation is fully funded now in a separate inside account. So I don't even have to worry about that within my own budget because it's already accounted for and it's already paid for. It's already funded. Now I can worry about everything else and that's taken care of. So that's a huge point is a little planning ahead. And it's amazing to me how often we'll plan more for the details of the vacation. Like when are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to stay? What are we going to do? We'll plan for those things, but we won't plan out the financial side of that vacation or the, finan you know, the next 30 years for retirement planning or whatever it may be. And so I think that's a huge issue. Uh, the other thing that I would say is w with them was we had to get their debt under control. So they actually ended up selling two of their vehicles and uh, one of their four-wheelers paid those <laughs> loans off. Yeah, how, one. How many cars did they have? 
they had uh they had four cars <laughs> for two people yep and they had uh they had two four-wheelers wow and so we got rid of those took care of those and then we started that debt elimination strategy that I was talking about using the money that was freed up. It's not even freed up. It was just recognizing how much we were spending in entertainment and taking that and just re- redistributing those dollars in the right order, which was to pay off some of that debt first. Wow. They, did they have to sell their pet unicorn too? They, they hung on to that. They were <laughs> able to, to afford the feed, fortunately. And so they were, they were good with that. That's good. That's, good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So, so it is possible, and, and this is what I, I want to get out uh, of you so that the, the person listening, and, and we can hear that it, it doesn't matter how much money you make every year. You, you can't be, you, you can't get ahead if you're spending more than you're making or and you're spending what you are making. It's if, if you want to turn this into medical terms, it's calories in, calories out. You're not going to lose weight if you're eating more than you're burning. Exactly. And, and so it's the same exact philosophy here. And, and, and there are so many ties to uh, weight and money. And so I want you listening to understand that, yes, you can, you can make a lot of money on the other side, but you have to control yourself enough to to be able to pay down your student loans and pay down your undergraduate loans if you have those as well and and maintain somewhat of a of a lower lifestyle for a little while and, until you have that flexibility that that we were mentioning earlier to to go out and have a little bit more fun right can i add one more thing to that too yeah i would say that you know when it comes to getting healthy or, or building more wealth in your life, that it's very, very simple, right? It's like you said, it's uh, burn more calories than you take in, right? Or spend less than you make. Very simple stuff, right? It's no mystery. You know, it's really interesting. Over the last year, I started uh, eating a lot better. I started doing CrossFit. I've literally in the last year lost 45 pounds. And I'm always amazed when somebody comes up to me and they ask me, how'd you do it? <laughs> Diet and exercise? Really? Yeah. And I know what they're looking for. They're looking for the pill, right? The yep. magic pill that I took or I used to, re- to lose all that weight. But the, the, it, there isn't one. And sure, it can happen temporarily. But in order to create long-term success in any element of your life, you have to do those hard things. And so it's simple but not easy. And so that's why I think it's so important that you surround yourselves with the right people that are in line with what you want to accomplish. And so whether that's talking about wealth and being in fitness and who you're surrounding yourselves with, with friends or the type of information you're consuming through your podcast or my podcast, whatever it may be, are you surrounding yourselves with the information that's going to get you to where you want to be? And if you're not, be prepared to be disappointed, frankly. And broke. Right. And fat. Yes. And fat. <laughs> Maybe. And lazy, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully not. No, we don't want that. So let's try to package this in, in one big ribbon and, and talk about some, some must-dos for, for pre-meds, medical students, residents, fellows to, to just start making sure they're lined up for success. Absolutely. 
I think uh, we've addressed this maybe maybe too heavily, but I don't know if you can do it enough. If you haven't done it already, just go set up an account at Mint and start getting a hold of that money coming in, money going out. And you'll hear a lot of you know common common knowledge or, or practice tells us you know maybe budget every month. I, I don't think that's enough. I really don't. So for example, my wife and I, we have a weekly meeting about our finances. And it doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out process, but we have a weekly meeting about the money that's coming in for the week and the money that's going out. So I think that's the first step. The second step, I think, is addressing some protection issues. And that's in, in uh, either before medical school or even in school, is that you probably really ought to consider disability insurance. And you probably, if you have a family, really ought to consider life insurance as well. So those are those are two areas that I really think are underutilized, but extremely important, even while you're in school. And I think between those two things and then using that debt strategy to pay down that debt as fast as you can, those are probably the three most important things I think anybody that's considering going into medical field would do. That sounds good to me. Easy, right? Simple. Yeah, simple. <laughs> And and I am on unfortunately the the wrong side of some of that with disability insurance, um, with with my new diagnosis of MS, with with Allison's diagnosis of Crohn's. It's going to be hard for us to get affordable disability insurance. Yeah, because we're broken in in the eyes of the insurers. Right, and right. and we haven't even looked at life insurance yet. Now with a a five month old, but. Um, that's probably going to be tough as well. Yeah, it's hard. It's one of those things that you think, and and I don't know. I mean, you you know better than I, but in in my experience, what I've seen is one of those things that you believe, hey, nothing's going to happen to me. I've I've got the world, you know, in the palm of my hands. I, I'm going. To, I've been accepted a medical program. I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to have great income. I'm going to have a great life. And and we overlook those things that just life happens and it goes wrong sometimes. Yep. Yeah. So. And then, you know, so the other thing I would say, too, is I've run across a lot of doctors that may have some sort of a, uh, a 401k from a previous employer or something like that. Don't cash those things in if you don't need to. If you absolutely have to, you've got to do what you've got to do. But if you have some sort of a retirement vehicle already set up, maybe don't necessarily fund it while you're going through school because you have all those debts. But Try to keep that there. Let interest, let the investments, let the market work for you. Don't get dinged and killed with all those taxes. Hang on to them if you can. I see that all the time where somebody will cash in a twenty dollars or $30,000 401k that they had through a previous employer. All right. You brought it up. I, I wasn't really going to talk about this, but since okay. you brought up retirement. Yes. Pay down loans or and or and or. <laughs> pay pay into a retirement. So so you and I had this conversation. You were on my podcast about a month or so ago, and we had this conversation a little bit. And I have this conversation every day, I think. And so, man, in a podcast to be able to give you an answer. Here, here's the pros and cons. If you're gonna if you're gonna pay off debt, if you've decided you know what, I'm going to get hyper aggressive on paying off debt and every dollar of my discretionary income is going to go towards that. The advantages I think of doing that 
are a guaranteed rate of return. And what I mean by that is if you're paying somewhere between 6 to 8% on your loans and you're paying those things off, well, that's a guaranteed 6 to 8%. There's nowhere else that you're going to be able to get a return like that on a guaranteed basis, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's a huge advantage. The other advantage is that once you get that stuff paid off, your hands are, your hand, you, know, you wash your hands of that debt and there's a lot more flexibility. And at that point, you can start investing. So there's some huge advantages for doing that. And obviously, you're not going to have to pay twice as much for your loan as you would if, you know, you, you extend that out over 25 or 30 Interest years, right? Interest racks up fast. Oh, my goodness. And if any, if any of you have bought a house, you know that because legally it has to be disclosed that a $300,000 house, you'll actually end up paying closer to $600,000 for it if you extend it out over 30 years. Yep. So there's some huge advantages. The downside, I think, with paying off debt is you do lose some flexibility when you do that. And for the same men- the reasons that we mentioned earlier is if you fall upon hard times or income slows down or whatever it may be, there's no way that you can go back to that bank or the student loan institution and ask for that money back. So there is some flexibility issues there that I think may make it a reason to consider something else. But those are the pros and cons, I think, about paying off debt. Okay. On the investment side... If you invest prudently, if you decide, hey, I'm going to take, and again, we're opposite end of the spectrum here. I'm going to take 100% of my discretionary income, and I'm going to apply it all towards investing. The benefits of doing that are, number one, you get into the habit of investing, and anytime you can get into the habit of doing something is a good thing. Number two is that you're going to be able to get rates of return in the market that historically have outpaced six to eight percent in investments that's not to say they'll continue to do that of course but they have outpaced that historically if you invest prudently so there's some huge advantages of that the other advantage is that you'll have a lot of flexibility but here's the funny thing is a lot of people will come to me and they'll ask for that advice and if i even mention the fact that they should invest before they start paying off debt the response is well yeah of course you'd say that you're a financial advisor (laughs) (laughs) you you get paid to help me invest not to pay off debt right so My answer, if I had to give you a solid answer, would be probably somewhere in between. I would not tell you to get hyper-aggressive towards debt. I would not tell you to get hyper-aggressive towards saving and investing. I would tell you that you should find a happy medium between both of those things. And that might be a 50-50 split. It might be slightly more towards the debt. But I think there's huge advantages in doing both. And they're both for different reasons. So being able to take advantage of both strategies, in, in my mind, is important. Okay. So you're taking and the middle road. I'm taking the, 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 the weak way out, really, yeah, is what that, it comes that down is, to. Yeah. I don't want to commit, man. I just want, <laughs> I just want to tell, say things that, that everybody will kind of agree with or maybe disagree with. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Ryan, where can people find you and your podcast? So if you head over to wealthanatomy.com, uh, we, we do our, pl- our podcast over there and our blog over there, and uh, that's where you're going to get all the information. Everything that we talked about, we, we've, we've addressed a lot of these issues, 90% of these issues, I think, that we've talked about today on our podcast as well. So I'd love you to come check it out. Obviously, people that are listening to this like podcasts, or they yes. at, least they, at least they like mine. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yours is a little better than mine. So um, I hope they're not disappointed if they come over and take a have a listen. At least they can listen to mine on, on yours. So. That, that's right. That's which fun. was, uh, yeah, that's right. One, <laughs> one other question I want to ask you before we, we end the show today. 
Okay. Besides looking at you and your resources, where can we find a reputable person to go talk to about this kind of stuff? That's a good question. I think, uh, so let me give you a couple of resources. Uh, One resource that I would say is find people in your life that have the type of success that you want to have. And so maybe it's another physician that you respect and that you know has had a lot of success. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling that has had a lot of success. I would definitely look at those routes. Uh, A lot of the schools have financial, I think every school has a financial advisor, but financial advisors can be a great resource. I know just based on our conversations, you have a great relationship with the advisor um, at uh, New York University, if I remember correctly. New York Med, yeah, Tony Sosa, awesome. Yeah. So I think turning to a financial advisor, even though they're going to advise you more on the student loan component of it, I think they're a great resource in helping you understand some of these other elements as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want uh, budgeting, I think is a is a definitely a place that or at Mint.com when it comes to budgeting, they've got a lot of resources there. But I also think podcasting as well as if you know you just jump on because. The uh, iTunes store is it's basically a search engine. So if you type in finance in there, now you say reputable and sometimes some of that information is good, sometimes it's not. But I definitely think it's good to see what else is out there and available. And then you can you know, discern for yourself what type of information is reputable. There's a great site that I really like, investopedia.com. And that will talk to you all about how to invest and be successful and talk about all the terms. So there's a lot of resources online, but I think those are the primary sources I would recommend somebody turn to. Sounds good. Yeah. Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the show and and sharing your knowledge with the medical school headquarters crowd. As always, great to talk to you. I hope that was uh, valuable and I hope some of the information will will, uh, really help the doctors that are listening have some more wealth in their life. And it's wealthanatomy.com. That's correct. All right. That, again, was Ryan Mickler from wealthanatomy.com. I hope you learned a lot of information today, a lot of really what you may consider not pertinent information to your path to get into medical school, but this is completely pertinent to your happiness after medical school and while you're working as a physician and as a resident because... As, as we know, as we hear all the time, the money situations or lack thereof, financial problems are a huge cause of stress in Americans and, and worldwide at this point. So uh, I take a lot of what we talked about today and put it into practice. I, I implore you and uh, go say hi to Ryan at wealthanatomy.com. Don't forget we're looking for stories for session 100 email me those ryan at medical school hq.net i want to thank the few people that took a minute out of their day to leave us a rating and review in itunes we have conrad dom who says unbelievably great a five-star rating thank you s masaro says informative and entertaining Piano Chick 13 from our friends up in Canada said very informative. Uh, she just started listening and will use us uh, through her pre-med path. 
And Ashley B42 says, great med school podcast. So thank you guys for leaving those. If you haven't yet, please do. It means a great deal to Allison and myself. And uh, we use those as motivation. We get an email every time you guys leave a rating and review. And uh, we love reading them and, and can't wait to find out if, if each of us has read them. So you can do that at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. That's it for today's episode. I hope you learned a ton. I hope you take it and use it and and grow. Go out and share this podcast with somebody that, that you think may uh, gain a lot of information from it. If you know any other pre-meds, go share it with them. And as always, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.